0: Welcome back to another episode of Theology Doesn't Suck, where hopefully theology doesn't suck. With you today, as always, is myself, Josh Patterson. And back with me today, I'm Not Alone Anymore, is Marty Frederick. Marty, I missed you so much last week. I
1: bet you did. uh, Josh, you and I, whenever we're not together, things just kind of fall apart sometimes. But I I did listen to last week, and the good news is that nothing fell apart. The episode was awesome. You did a great job, and so did Derek. So I enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, Derek was really excited. He was like, oh, thank God Marty's not going to be a part of this. He said that (laughs) off air, though, so... Yeah,
1: but well, I thought I heard him say that on air too, and and I was like, you know, it's a good thing I wasn't there because then he would have been really disappointed and he wouldn't want to do this again. And so, you know, I'm glad I wasn't there. It was it was the best possible way for him to be introduced to the podcast without me there at all.
0: Oh, fantastic! Well, did you? So we, uh, as you heard, I used your words. And I let people know that you were away on a quote smoochy smooch end quote <laughs> anniversary <laughs> vacation with your wife so hopefully you That's enjoyed I, your time
1: yeah we we were we celebrated our tenth anniversary on the twenty fifth of July uh, and so then but we were my wife and I both uh, were serving at the Vacation Bible School at our church. Um, so I was I was sort of doing the storyteller role, and then I was also working with second and third graders. And my wife was in charge of the craft area of, v- of VBS, which we actually don't call VBS. We call summer camp because uh, okay. we, we kind of felt like the VBS lingo kind of pushes people away from the idea of coming. But okay. summer camp seems more natural and more... Uh, sort of with the times we'll call contemporary contemporary is that what that means sure i used to know a guy that used to say contemporary just means with the times is that that's all that means um josh you know who i'm talking about yeah i know Uh, exactly who you're (laughs) talking about (laughs) and so basically my wife served in the crafts area and i got to do storytelling Mm. and then at the end of that week uh we you know we did we did the church service as normal on sunday And then right after church, we drove out to a small town in Illinois called Galena. Mm. Um, It's like an old school, like it's where Ulysses S. Grant lived for quite a while. And it's not where he's from, but it's where he lived for a while um, after the Civil War before his presidency. Uh, And so it's just a really cool, like old style town, a lot of little shops and hiking and stuff like that. So we had a really great time.
0: Sweet. That's great, man. That's great to hear. I'm glad, uh, you guys had that. And it's, it's nice to be able to like go around, you know, go away and have vacation and stuff. Um, I know we haven't always had that privilege, Marty, uh, in some no. of the other places we work together, but so that's nice that, you know, people care about your family. Cause that's important.
1: <laughs> well, and Josh, just the, the last thing I'll ask is like, so my wife and I have been married for 10 years. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Have, have you been alive for 10 years or is like, <laughs>
0: How how is wow. that worked for you? Yeah, you're throwing shade, man Come on, I just hit the three-year mark So I hope I wasn't seven when we got married Yeah um, I realize people can't can't see me Because this is audible But I, I do know I look 16 um, But for everyone's knowledge, I'm 25 <laughs> And Barty likes to make fun of me Which is fine Because I can make fun of him for being old yeah, um, Sweet <laughs> <Anyway. that> old. <laughs> Yeah, right, not that old uh, but anyway, dude, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm glad that you're back, but I'm also really excited uh, today because we have a guest on uh, that I personally um, am really excited about. I first uh, encountered them uh, in a book that they put out, um, I guess it was a couple years ago now, called Sinners in the Hand of a Loving God. Um, and I really enjoyed that book. I specifically read it, uh, you know, for our Reformed listeners, you guys will like this. Um, but I specifically read it because Andy had, has, you know, was talking to me about sinners in the hand of an of a, um, angry God. And so as soon as I saw uh, Brian's book, I was like, oh man, I have to read this just so I can, like, you know, have a conversation with Andy. But uh, I read it, I loved it. Um, and then I got introduced uh, to another book um, of his. Uh, called farewell to mars and then to like uh what is it beauty it's right behind me yeah beauty will save the world and then today we're going to be talking about uh his book his latest book called postcards from babylon the church in american exile and so with us today is pastor brian zahn so how's it going brian it's
2: going good it's, it's a good day it's monday i kind of, it's kind of a day off it's kind of a day where I do what I want to do Ah, as much as I want stuff like that. I went to, I went to the chiefs training camp this morning for a little while. That's perfect. uh, You know, their training camp is here in St. Joseph. And so, you know, if I want to, I can just go by and, See how they're doing. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's awesome. pretty cool. That's really cool. We're uh, so since you brought up sports, there is one question uh, that we ask every single person that comes on the show, and and you have to give an answer, even if you don't think you have one. All right. <laughs> what is your favorite hockey team?
2: I guess it would be have to be the St. Louis Blues. I'm not really a hockey fan, but you know I live in Missouri, and so they're champions and and so go blues sweet that's
0: no that's a perfect answer <laughs> uh right. and marty it's neutral normally i try to get everybody to be washington capitals fans and marty's a blackhawks fan so he despises me for that but uh we like to ask everybody that question <laughs> I'm a for fun.
2: Fan is what i really am Absolutely. everything else is just something to pass the time until the nfl season rolls around
1: <laughs> well i'm going to be cheering for a bears chiefs super bowl uh, so everyone can finally put to rest the the Mitch Trubisky and Patrick Mahomes debate. Uh, and I don't, I'm not sure how that's going to actually end because I, I haven't
2: I, heard about this debate.
1: <laughs> everyone says that the Bears should have drafted Pat, Pat Mahomes
2: instead of Mitch Trubisky, but they everybody and, thinks they should have drafted Patrick Mahomes at this point. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Anybody that had a chance now, they know they should have. But yes, yeah. yeah, they
1: they yeah. Bears it. went with Mahomes instead. They kind of got played by the 49ers and traded up to the second round pick just to get him, and they could have got him in the or the the, the, the second. Pick pick
0: right instead
1: of the third pick but they could have got him at the third pick cuz the 49ers weren't going to take him they kind of got played but that's okay
0: <laughs> <laughs> well i'm a ravens fan so i'm just going to be happy if you know they come out you know 50-50 this year or something um so anyways we can move on cuz the capitals are much better that's why i like to celebrate yeah. them <laughs> sweet but yeah so um again thank you so much for for taking time out of your day to to come and chat with us um Uh, specifically like i said about your your latest book postcards from babylon uh the church in american exile and so before we jump in um there's something that i've i've heard you uh say a few times that i think is really really helpful i know it was helpful to me um and i was i was sharing some with marty um you know prior to to having you on uh but you you do this really great thing where you kind of define america or like what is america um and, and break it down into four different things. And so I was wondering if we could start with that, because I think it'll give good context to this conversation.
2: Yeah, well, we, we could start off, we could say America is a behemoth. <laughs> <laughs> it's so big, it's yes. so vast, that when you say America, someone says, do you love America? It's like, man, you're, you've asked me such a huge question, because America, as a global economic military superpower uh is not one thing it's four things mm. it's a nation it's a culture it's an empire it's a religion so let's try to unpack those those uh, four things first of all it's a nation people get that you know 1776 now 50 states, you know, people get that. Mm. It's, a, it's a nation among the community of nations. And as a nation, America is, you know, like a, like all nations, I suppose, to a certain extent, a mixed bag. I mean, you can find things that you can critique, but there's much to be celebrated and much that's admirable. And much of the world does admire much about the American nation. America is also a culture. Um uh, Every every nation, of course, is a culture has a culture or multiple cultures. But America has a culture that struts large upon the global stage. Um, I travel the world a lot. I have for I don't know thirty years or more, mm. and so I'm out of the country. You know, usually shoo, a lot. You know, I maybe mean, nowadays I'm maybe two three months a year outside the U.S. But you see, you see American culture everywhere. American movies, American food, uh, American television, American music, American sports. Um, so America is a culture, and as a culture, again, you can, there's much to be critiqued, but there's also aspects of entrepreneurialism, a kind of energy that uh, is admirable. Now we move to America as an empire, and, and I, don't, I don't know who our listeners are. It doesn't matter. I'm going to say what i say. <laughs> Do it. Uh, we're all for it. <laughs> America is an empire. Now, I, that's, a, that's, that's a word that many people could hear as a pejorative. Mm-hmm. I just mean in a, really a technical sense. Um, but it does have a pejorative side to it, and we'll get to that. Uh, empire basically is old language for the current superpower. So if I say America is an empire, some people are like, well, what do you mean by that? If I say America is a superpower, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, right, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. A superpower. Um, but, but here's what I really mean by empire, and I use it in a specific way. Empires are rich, powerful nations that believe they have a divine right to rule other nations and a manifest destiny to shape history. Mm. Uh, this is... This is problematic with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, Empire is one of the significant themes that ties the Bible together. Mm -hmm. It's a theme without exaggeration. I'm not just saying this in hyperbole, but I'm saying this analytically. It is a theme that runs consistently from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, very pronounced in the book of Revelation, maybe reaches a crescendo in Revelation, Mm. but it's in Genesis, it's in Exodus, it's in the prophets, especially the major prophets, it's in the Gospels, it's in the book of Acts, it's in the book of Romans, etc. Here's the problem. God loves nations with their diversity, their ethnicity, their peoples, their culture, their language. The Bible and the God of the Bible celebrates nations. Mm -hmm. Uh, Empires, though, position themselves to be a necessary rival to God. Because what empires claim for themselves, a divine right to rule other nations, a manifest destiny to shape history, is the very thing that God has promised to his son. Mm -hmm. So uh, empires, whether it's Babylon or Persia, or Greece, or Rome, or throughout you know history, whether we're talking about Byzantium or Russia or Great Britain, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, Germany, um, empires always impinge upon God's sovereignty over nations, and so that creates a problem. Finally, America is a religion. Uh, I wish I could find that part. I don't have my good marked-up copy of Babylon <laughs> here, um, so I'm going to try to find it. But when when I, when when we say America's religion, I, that's where I, I know some people are, oh, hold on here a minute. Right. <laughs> uh, yet, yet, is it really a debate? Is it really a debate? It is a religion. I mean, complete with creation myths, sacred texts,
0: mm-hmm.
2: hallowed saints, um, holidays or holy days, sacred days, sacred ground, um, all of these sorts of things that are anemic to a religion are present within Americanism. Yeah. Uh, hymns, etc. Here, Here's an egregious example. If you go to Washington, (laughs) D.C., to the Capitol, Mm -hmm. if you look up at the rotunda of the Capitol, you will see a piece of art that's— the formal name is the Apotheosis of Washington, George Washington. Apotheosis. That's a Greek word that means to make a god of. They're not hiding anything here. (laughs) Uh, The artist that created this piece— was a religious artist. I mean, his commission before doing the Capitol Rotundo was in the Vatican. Mm. And what you see when you look up, as you see a scene that if you've been in, especially Catholic churches, is relatively familiar. It's a scene of the heavens with cherubim and and people seated upon clouds The problem is where you expect to see Jesus exalted to the right hand of the Father, you see George Washington. Yep, yep. It's almost comical, the degree to which they have just overplayed their hand. Yeah. uh, But but of course, America is not inventing this idea of nation as religion. It's just the latest iteration of it. Uh, You know, Rome, Babylon, et cetera, all have done it, and now America is doing it. Um, so when we say when, when, if you ask me, Do I love America i said, there's much I love about the american nation it 's my home, you know i mean it's I go all over the world, but I always come home and here 's where I feel at home i mean it's, mm-hmm. it's this is my place, this is my people there's much I love about American culture, the contribution to the arts and uh we here's something that Americans can be very proud of we Pioneered the the concept of national parks. That is, mm, that mm-hmm. lands would be set aside, won't be developed, will be kept more or less wilderness, and can be enjoyed by all the people. Yeah, well, rock on! That's awesome. And we, can <laughs> um, America, as an empire. Um, is is, is no-fly zone for Christians. <laughs> sure, absolutely. Because, because we confess Jesus is Lord, and of course America as religion is just blatant idolatry, although it's hard for a lot of people caught up in that to recognize the idolatry because Americanism as religion borrows much of the iconography and language of Christianity. Mm. And that's, that's where you have the attempt of a syncretism, a conflation of, of historic Christianity with American uh, ideals, agenda, imagery. And he, here's the—and I'll stop talking here in a moment. But <laughs> you're good, you're good. The question, so I'm trying to get it out. Yeah. Uh, here, here's the—here's what will make my point. Um, church lawns, church lawns. So you're in—where where are you guys? I forgot where you guys are—
0: Sure. So uh, I myself, I'm in uh, Gaithersburg, Maryland, which is uh, just outside of D.C. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. Right near right near Rome. Okay. Yeah, absolutely.
0: (laughs) Right near. And I have I want to comment on something you said, because I had just visited the Capitol building. So we'll get back to that.
1: But yeah, yeah and i'm in I'm in Grays Lake, Illinois, which is about forty five minutes north of Chicago. Yeah. Uh, maybe 15, 20 minutes south of the of the Wisconsin border, so right? I'm right sure, kind of in there
2: sure it really doesn't matter whether you're in Illinois, <laughs> whether you're in Maryland, whether you're in Missouri, I think all of our listeners will relate to what I'm talking about. So you're driving down the street in anywhere USA, and here's, you know, the First Baptist Methodist Assembly of God, whatever church. And for whatever reason, they, they like to have a flag pole out. Maybe it's a small church. Maybe they don't have a lot of money. Maybe they can't have a bunch of flagpoles. They only got one, but they want to have two flags. They want to have the American flag, lest people forget what country they're in, I suppose. <laughs> and they want to have the so-called Christian flag. Even I say so-called because it's not historic Christian iconography. It's <laughs> obviously a conflation of the American flag and Christian symbols. But let's set that aside. Let's take it. Let's take it in good faith at face value that it represents Christian faith. Sure. So you're gonna have these two flags. I mean, I can think of numerous churches right here in my town that have this phenomenon. So you have the American flag and you have the Christian flag. How do you arrange them on the flagpole? <laughs> it's all see, flags are flags are, serve no pragmatic purpose. They are pure symbol. Sure. And and that's all, that, but they're very powerful symbols. Yeah. deeply. But that's why you know things like flag burning or whatever, are you know, incite such ire. Um, so on a single flagpole in front of these churches who ostensibly are confessing that Jesus is Lord, they have their flags arranged with the American flag on top and the Christian flag subordinate underneath that. Yeah. Well, since flags are... And flagpoles and all of that are purely symbolic. They serve no pragmatic purpose. What is the message being communicated <laughs> by the symbol? And that is we're 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 Christians and we love Jesus. And Jesus is so great that he comes in number two. He's, he's, he's almost there. He's penultimate, though, because mm-hmm. everything is subordinate to our allegiance to America. Mm-hmm. And if somebody says, uh, well, no, that's not what that means. I said, well, then tell me what it means. <laughs> I mean, why have you arranged them that way? Then just switch them, okay? Put the put the Christian flag on top and the American flag beneath. And it's really, they'll sometimes they'll say to me, "You can't do that. That's illegal." To <laughs> say. number one, it's not. Yeah. Five, so it was. So what if it was? <laughs> Either Jesus is Lord or not. He he mm-hmm. doesn't get. Jesus doesn't get to be Lord by coming in second place. I call yeah. that a moment of unintended truth-telling. I know that's that's pretty uh, daring of me, maybe, maybe a tad bit mean. I don't know. But I think that's unintended truth-telling on the sure. church lawn that in our conflating Christianity and Americanism, in fact, Americanism is number one. Christianity is number two. So, that, okay, there I'm done with my first. Round
1: yeah. of, <laughs> well and you know a couple of weeks ago we had uh, a couple of friends of ours that are mormon uh, or that that were mormon and recently became christian and one of the things that you know, they
2: said is, should be the state religion of america it, <laughs> it fits perfectly and then christianity can go about and be what it's supposed to be yeah I, right and
1: in. and the funny thing that they had said well and that's not funny but it, it really kind of goes along with what you're saying is the thing that uh, was always the most troubling to them was that Jesus was always number two to so many other things within the Mormon religion. And so for them, like that made sense that Mormon, that Jesus should never be number two, but he was in Mormonism. And so in some ways that's like a, you know, a one twentieth the size example of what you're explaining here. Right. And other people saw that and said, what are you crazy? Like Jesus should never be number two, but and then, like, here it is again, and we're for some reason okay with it within Christianity, that Jesus would come out number two, well, well, you know.
2: The reason I bring up the flag thing is because people that are caught up in the civil religion of Americanism yeah. are low. In fact, they just won't admit that, in fact, Jesus has been demoted to number two. That's why I bring up the flag issue. Yeah. Because that's the moment where they're telling the truth and they don't even know it. Yeah. Right. Right.
0: Yeah and it, and if like and like uh, like you said if you you know were to switch those two the two flags you didn't cite riots in the street and like it'd You're be right. insane. But right. uh, it's it's interesting though that, that you brought up the the rotunda in the Capitol building. Uh, we did an an urban mission trip recently. So I'm a youth pastor. Um, mm-hmm. and we took some students did an urban mission trip in DC right in our backyard and uh, part of it was we went to the to the Capitol building and did a tour and when we went into that room um, I learned about the painting because our tour guide told us, and I was very much taken aback. And he referred to the room that the rotunda is in specifically as a temple. <coughs> His words, not mine. And then uh, I, that started clicking, and I was like, "Wait a minute!" Um, that I connected the painting, and then in that room, there's all these really cool statues of all these people who have done great things within American, uh, you know, history. Um, the They're the saints. Exactly. And they're idols in the temple in our Capitol building. (laughs) And then we left there and we went to the the Lincoln Memorial, which I've been to uh, a number of times. Yeah. And it says above George Washington, quote, in this temple, as in the hearts of the people for whom he saved the union, the memory of Abraham Lincoln is enshrined forever. And I I did research. I looked it up, and the the architect who built it modeled it specifically after a Greek temple. Yes. And it's it's built right into the culture in our face, and we don't see it.
2: Yeah, great <laughs> as Lincoln of the Americans. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. I mean,
2: I'm you know, great greatest Artemis of the Ephesians. You know, greatest sure. Lincoln of the Americans. Yeah. You know? And 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 so you know that if you if you start dissing Lincoln in some way, boy, you're going to have people upset. Well, that's the same thing you see. In the book of Acts in Ephesus, when they just assumed that you know they had somehow uh, insulted the goddess Artemis, and there was this riot for two hours in Ephesus. Yeah, uh, yeah,
0: yeah. It's so it's really interesting, and I so I started to uh, trend along um, in this this line of thinking and understanding uh, first through maybe something that you know might be a surprise to people, but uh, N.T. Wright is one of my favorite. Scholars, I've yeah. read tons of his stuff, and just he opened up my eyes to the, the kingdom of God. And I think as soon as that clicked with me, um, then I started seeing how problematic the kind of stuff uh, that you point out um, in your book really is. And I, I was introduced to to Greg Boyd's work, Myth of a Christian Nation, and then I read your you know Farewell from Mars. I read um, Untangling Jesus by Keith Giles. Mm-hmm. Um and I think once Did I write
2: the forward to that book?
0: I think you did, yes. I think I did. <laughs> yeah, you I think did. I did. I have it on my shelf behind me right here. Yeah, would you look at that? For yeah. <laughs> so um yeah, so that's that's uh it's these interesting are all me. I mean,
2: I know all of these people, they're all my friends, so we're all co conspirators.
0: <laughs> yeah, but what do you think do you think that that has some ground like I'm not making myself clear, but once like for you, once this the true like the understanding of the kingdom of God being a a present reality that's not right. yet fully realized, um, but that Christians are particip participate within the kingdom of God here and now as a part of our salvation. Um like once that clicked for me, this once kind of stuff lined up and it just makes sense.
2: Look, it it's it's being born again. Mm. <laughs> Good language. It's, speaking, it, 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 it's, it's rethinking everything. Once, if you see the kingdom before very quickly, I began to see the kingdom of God. And I remember telling my church, I said, I have new eyes. Mm. It's like I have a brand new Bible. Wow. I'd been reading the Bible at that point for however long, I can't even do the math. Been a pastor. I mean, I, bec- I became a pastor in 1981. And I've stayed at the same church the whole time. and But in 2004, I was born again, again. I got new <laughs> eyes, had a brand new Bible. But when I really saw the phenomenon of great nations deifying their nation in some way, now Christians will try to conceal it, but here's how I saw it. I was I was sitting exactly where I'm sitting right now. I'm in my uh, basement basement. Just walk out basement looks out onto some woods. That's where I do my writing. But I was I was sitting at this table reading, and I was reading *Demons* by Fyodor Dostoevsky. And in this uh, book, very prophetic book, by the way, um, there's a conversation between two of the main characters. One explaining to the other that every great nation believes that God is. Really, their god. Oh, sure. That this god exists to make them great, and in fact, what they really do is turn the nation into the body of God, and that uh, great nations tend to whatever they call their god. What lurks behind that is there is it's a way of personifying the nation as God. That hit me so hard that I just staggered out of my door. I still had the book in my hand, and I walked for like a mile, stunned, because now everything came into focus. Mm. And, I, and, and that's when I really—that's when I first thought, okay, well, I've got to write about this. It would, it would be 10 years before I wrote uh, A Farewell to Mars, but but um, that's when it was born. I knew I would write that book. I always thought <laughs> I'd be—wait, I'm 60 now. Uh, I was always going to wait till I was like, like I was really old, had nothing to lose. <laughs> but, <laughs> but then I thought, no, 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 no. What ha- actually? What happened was my grandchildren were born, and I thought, for their sake, I'm going to write. And now almost all of my books, in one way or another, are dedicated to them. Let's see, who's postcard to Babylon? For Jude, Mercy, Finn, Hope, Evie, Pax, and Liam, mm. my seven grandchildren, yeah. I want to do all I can to help make Christianity possible for you and your generation. This book is part of that attempt. Yeah. So that's who I'm really writing for these days is is, is that generation because we're in a crisis of fidelity mm. in much of the most visible church in America. It's not the whole church, but yeah. the evangelical church is the most vocal and visible church part of the church in America. And there's an absolute, I can say, crisis of fidelity. At this point, i want to just say failure of fidelity. And it's going to have lasting repercussions. And um, when when a generation that represents my grandchildren, which, which are between the ages of nine and one, uh, come of age to be making their own decisions, any kind of Christianity that had been associated with a complicity with white nationalism is going to be rejected. Yeah. So I want to be very clear that there are other alternatives and that every step of the way there have been those of us that have been calling it out for what it is. Yeah. And protesting that they have illegitimately hijacked Jesus.
1: Yeah. 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 Can, I, can I ask you a question? I, I know that Josh has a lot of things he would like to ask like specifically about Letters let, letters for Babylon, but I, I have something that just kind of came to me right now as you're – so I've served in churches uh, in Boston, uh, in Chicago, in the Seattle area, and in South Florida. And what, one of the trends that I've noticed um, is that across the country, it seems like this American nationalism – um, or more so just like this, you know, America as religion concept, I would say is the strongest and the most blatant in the Midwest as compared to places like South Florida where Josh and I served together or places like the West Coast. But it could right. just be that they hide yeah, it better in those places. In
2: South, <laughs> understanding that South Florida isn't the South. Yeah. Right. Correct. Yeah,
1: right. It's it's totally, I mean, it's almost the Caribbean essentially. South is
2: essentially. probably the worst and then the Midwest, Yeah. Mm. Yeah
1: and and I wonder if it's just that place like you know the West Coast particularly I mean everything there was very liberal Um, you know, I was on a small Island, uh, and even there, there was like this pocket of conservatism there that, that was kind of interesting to be a part of, but, um, the idea of America as religion, I think they would have absolutely rejected completely and had all sorts of arguments against it, (laughs) even though it was true, uh, South Florida, the, the place Josh and I served together, no mention of politics was allowed in any way, shape or form. Whether it be social media, whether it be in conversation, whether it be and and staff on church or like on church grounds or whatever, uh, but where I'm where I'm currently but serving, that,
2: that's that's just pretending.
1: Yeah, right. <laughs> right. And, that, and that's kind I mean, that's, of what I'm getting at.
2: Okay. Well, here let me give you two real quick anecdotes. Um, Jason Upton. I don't know if any you know who he is. He's yeah. a well-known singer-songwriter, musician, very good friend. He called me up the other day and he said, Brian. He said, I listened to your podcast. You'd be you'd be edgy. You'd be radical if you were in Boston. How do you get <laughs> away with what you're doing in St. Joseph, Missouri? And I said, I said Jason, who said I'm getting away with anything? I'm just doing it. I might not be getting <laughs> away with it, though. And then the yeah. other one is uh, Fred Harrell, who's pastor of City Church in San Francisco, and he's a friend. And he says, you know, it used to be for years people would say, Fred Harrell, man, he's He's pastoring in San Francisco. He's right on the front lines of everything that's challenging to Christianity. He says, nowadays, I correct him. I said, no, no, that's not me. That's Brian zombie he's, he, <laughs> he's in Missouri. He's right on the front lines. And yeah. there is some truth to that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so I've just noticed that the place I'm currently serving, we ha- we do a thing after church every Sunday where we just get people, anyone that wants to, and we'll have a conversation about a topic Recently, the topic was about Joshua Harris uh, and just kind of his, his fall away from Christianity. But Mm -hmm. we've also had conversations around Memorial day. Like, is it possible to be a Christian and a proud American? And I went to this conversation and I couldn't believe how, how divided on that topic everyone in the church was as opposed to like, if we would have had that conversation in Florida, which wouldn't have even happened in the first place, but the fact Mm -hmm. that it was even happening and seeing this division and, and it happened to be that the older generation were the ones that were touting Americanism as so much so important, and yeah. then the, the extreme younger generation was kind of saying, "Wait a minute, let's hold off on that." And it was this clash. And so, yeah, I just I thought that was interesting that the geography in America yeah. is so spread apart.
2: Part of life, church. I think we've done a very good job. Um, we really haven't been affected hardly at all by the phenomenon of Trumpism. Many churches that have any kind of conservative identity have been affected. Uh, we really haven't, because we, we'd already dealt with this 10 years earlier, well, about like that. Um, so at Word of Life, we are not a monolith. Uh, we've covered pretty much the whole range of of uh, the political spectrum. You know, we'll have, you know, Bernie supporters, we'll have Trump supporters, we'll have everything all throughout the whole spectrum. But in our church, and and we don't shy away from um, referring to politics, we try not to take any position that seems to be partisan. I mean, just this past Sunday, my entire sermon was political theology. Mm. And I mean, I just talked flat out about it. (laughs) Um, But at Word of Life, I mean... Everybody knows kind of where I'm coming from. They could probably guess my political positions. I don't use the pulpit to do a lot about it until they really impinge upon justice issues. But here's, here's the point. One thing. At Word of Life Church, what we've done is we have created—and I don't, we didn't do this intentionally necessarily. It just happened, but it's good—a culture of kindness. So— It's not out of bounds, for example, at Word of Life Church for members to be Trump supporters or to vote for Trump or whatever. Uh, We have plenty. I mean we have plenty that have done and do that. What is out of bounds is to be a jerk. (laughs) Uh, everybody knows, look, you can kind of do what you want. You can believe what you want more or less politically here at World of Life, but not as long as you're unkind. If you become unkind, that doesn't work. Yeah. And so the culture of kindness has held diverse people together in a single congregation in the name of Jesus. Mm. Uh, and I and I told my church. I said, "Look, I said this a few weeks ago. I said, either we got two ways we can go. Either we can be a monolith, and you, you all can agree with me, <laughs> <laughs> or we're just going to have to learn to really walk in love and not manufacture enemies." Yeah. And you could, if you're, you can, you can participate in politics at to whatever level. I mean, we're in a participatory democracy. Uh, you can have political opinion, opinions, you can vote, you can register with a party, you can run for office, you can hold office, as long as it doesn't move you in the direction of hate.
1: Yeah. As
2: long as it doesn't force you to call the others enemies and treat them as such. Yeah. Um, if it starts to do that, then you have to let it go. We talk openly like that. That's that's the kind of language we will have at Word Life Church. But on the other hand, they'll kind of know where I'm coming from from the pulpit on immigration issues.
0: Yeah, they'll know
2: that. Um, and if they follow me on social media, which many of them do, they kind of know where I'm <laughs> from on guns and other things like that.
0: Yeah, sure. Yeah, that's. I think it's it's really cool that just that idea that you brought about too, because I think we see that modeled in uh, the life and work of of Christ. I mean, Jesus brought together. A zealot and a tax collector. That's crazy. <laughs> that's,
2: yeah. If people can understand how you know it's like it's like Rush Limbaugh and Michael Moore, you know, or <laughs> of Jesus. <laughs> yeah,
0: of course. Yeah, it's ah oh man, it's so crazy that but I think that's so healthy too because um the basically my my ultimate concern, what I what really gets me riled up is just how divisive politics has become within the body of Christ. I think it's
2: a very dangerous time for us right now. Absolutely. I think it's, and I don't think any pastor can perfectly navigate these waters. I think we pray much and we do the best we can. But I think, well, one of, one of the church members that would be, I think they're all supportive, but maybe a more, I don't know, astute church member uh, came up to me Sunday morning after the sermon. And said, Man, you did a great job dancing for forty-five minutes right on the edge of the cliff. but I, I think I think the 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 pathway between two. So so so, so one one side one side you don't want to go into is overt partisanship. Sure, because because then, then you end up. You know, uh, believing that 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 our politics and our political party has to save the world. I mean, forget them. Jesus is the savior of the world, not that. Absolutely. So, so you don't want to go that way. We'll call that, we'll call that right. I don't know if I don't really mean that's necessarily this all works out. Okay, let's, let's not use right and left because that will confuse people. One side is to go, you know, into partisanship. The other side is quietism mm-hmm. where you just say, you know, oh, I'm above the fray. it doesn't matter. I don't, I don't think about politics. Uh, That is deeply misrepresenting Jesus of Nazareth,
0: Mm -hmm.
2: whose uh, everything Jesus ever said has deep political implications. So you can't go that way either. And I think the way forward is so narrow that much grace must be given to every pastor because at times you're going to go one way or the other a little too far. And I, I I think we just we just pray, we do the best we can and understand that it's a and give ourselves grace because it's a difficult time. Yeah. I never feel like I'm doing it perfectly. <laughs> I always feel like I'm I mean, and it might be within five minutes of each other. I think, okay, I'm I'm drifting too much into quietism, non-engagement, just, you know, in a position of privilege to say I'm above it all, and then five minutes later, no, I'm drifting too far into it's so
0: hard yeah it that i mean that that speaks to me personally because that i mean marty can attest to that that's been my journey like trying to to figure that out balance and navigate that for i guess since jesus my senior year in college so four years ago um because at first i very much drifted very far into the
2: like complete withdrawal
0: right. um and i think i have i And some people need to do that for
2: time just for their own well-being of their soul. I get that.
0: Oh, absolutely. I definitely needed it. Um, And it it really opened my eyes and, and, you know, changed um, my thoughts on a lot of things. But then I have, you know, really good friends like Marty, um, who Marty and I kind of differed on these things. And I would talk to him about it. And Marty did a a nice job of helping me kind of, you know, swing back um, from being at such an extreme where it's not helpful uh, because like you said, Jesus was, ex- was extremely political, you yeah. know, making statements like Jesus is Lord, you know, Caesar's not, that's bold like, statement. yeah, yeah bold statement.
2: saying Jesus is commander in chief.
0: Yeah. Donald yeah. Trump's not the president. Jesus is. That's <laughs> right.
2: Yeah. right. So, so let me, let me tell a story that I think maybe will help, uh, I don't know, resonate with this. Sure. So, so in the elections of 2008, presidential elections, 2008 and 2012, uh, and actually before that too, uh, I had adopted a position where I didn't vote at the presidential level. I would vote at local levels and I would go to the polls, but I wouldn't vote in the presidential election uh, because, this was my reasoning, I didn't want my vote to be construed as me authorizing someone to wage war Mm. on my behalf. Mm-hmm. And so I would vote for Bob Dylan, or I would vote for Barry, <laughs> or I won't vote. one time I voted for Tree Beard. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and, and, and I'd always done that, but then you know as we're approaching sixteen, I got uneasy with that. I thought, well, I said maybe. I mean, I I like my position, but does that position come from a position of privilege? Mm. That more or less, whatever happens, I'm going to be okay. Yeah. So here's what I did. I found an undocumented immigrant in our church whom I actually know extremely well. We're very close. I've known him for, I don't know, more than 10 years. And I, I went to him and I said, you know, we've got this election coming up. You can't vote in it because despite all your best efforts, I know the whole story and I've gone with them to immigration attorneys. I've gone with them to meet with homeland security. I mean, I've, done all of this. I know their story. I know the problems. I know they've done every, I personally, not our church, I personally have hired uh, immigration lawyers for them, trying to get them legal status. And it just hasn't been possible. It's it's a situation where some of the the children, not all of them, some of the children are citizens and some aren't. And it's a very complicated story. I said, well, anyway, you can't vote in this election. So I'm going to give you my vote. Here's what we're going to do. I said, you you read, study, pray, and you tell me who you want to vote for, and then on election day, I'm your errand boy. I'm just going to go, and I'm going to vote. I'm, I will cast your vote, but I'm surrendering my vote to you, and I made this public. I told – I didn't tell the person once, but I told people I was doing this, and and some people, especially on the right, got real upset with me. <laughs> you can't do that. That's illegal. I said, no, it's not illegal. It's it's voter fraud. It's not voter fraud. I said you let Fox News tell you who to vote for. I'll let this guy tell me who to vote for. <laughs> right on. And uh, so that, so so that was a way of me engaging in a different way. Yeah. So that worked that time around.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting because I I kind of had a similar thing where I had not voted, and then in this election I felt it particularly urgent. Um, however. Uh, basically, with like the same concern that you articulated, this idea that i don 't want to endorse somebody um, and then have that conflated with me um, agreeing with right. you know any war or violence that they incite on people in general, Marty and I had that conversation, and so I voted for somebody too that like I knew wasn 't going to win, um, but I wanted to you know express my um, Unhappiness, I guess, with what we had been offered, and I didn't sleep for three days. Like <laughs> it bothered me so much, um, and I think I'm at a different place now. But uh,
2: you mentioned yeah. Greg Boyd. Greg and I are good friends, and we talk. Greg's more radically Anabaptist than I am. Okay, cool. Uh, not not he's he's no more committed to nonviolence, I don't think, than I am. But he's he's more. And I'm using a technical term. He's more. Prone to being a Christian anarchist, okay, in you know, complete non-engagement, and yet I don't, I don't think Greg would mind me telling you this. He cast a legitimate ballot in twenty sixteen, yeah, because because the the building was on fire,
0: yeah,
2: and okay, so so for a long time he's held that position, but this time around he's this isn't normal, and um, so even 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 someone like Greg Boyd was forced to get involved <laughs> in the process. Cause it was, cause things seemed to be so dangerous.
0: Yeah. I've had uh, conversations recently cause I made, uh, I don't, I don't want to call it a mistake because I stand by it, but I it said something, um, you know, on my Facebook page and one of the, uh, people from the, the church that I work at, one of like the, the elders or whatever, um, was like, well, you, you better not be telling our students this kind of stuff. Like you have to tell them absolutely that they're going to vote, um, <laughs> and so I had yeah. an interesting conversation with her there and I, you know, I, I told her and it was very cordial, respectful, nothing bad happened. Um, but basically I told her this is this is where I am. This is my perspective. This is why I feel this way. However, uh, you know, I let the students do what the students want to do. You know, they have to have their own faith and, and make their own decisions.
2: So, you know, uh, in 2012, I believe. On election night. I was with my wife and another couple who are very, very dear friends and we were having dinner together and we're just chatting. And, uh, of course we're thinking about the election. And so we're very close friends. And so I just said, well, who'd y'all vote for? (laughs) And so we went around, Perry had voted for Obama. I had voted for Bob Dylan. The husband (laughs) we were with had voted green party and the wife had voted, I guess it was McCain. And, uh, But but there was no there was zero tension. Mm. We all just Mm. laughed, you know, and then went on with our meal. Yeah, Uh, it doesn't seem that way. I I miss those days.
1: Yeah, and I can be honest that in the 2016 election, you know, there was many people that I knew um, who they wouldn't tell anyone who they voted for because they were worried. And on either side. What the reaction would be. It wasn't necessarily just, oh, if I voted for Trump, you're going to hate me. But if it was a vote, if I voted for Clinton, you're going to hate me. If I voted for Vermin Supreme in New Hampshire, (laughs) you're going to hate me. You know, and, and it was across the board. I actually had a friend of mine who lives in Haiti staying with us, recovering from a surgery she had in Miami. And uh, we were watching the election results and she said, you know, this is almost this is almost looking like the way elections, if they actually wind up happening in Haiti, this is almost kind of looking the same way. It's like you, 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 you can't even tell someone you're going to vote. You can't even tell, let, let alone who you're choosing to vote for. It's so polarizing, almost to a physically like, you know, a, a physically dangerous situation for you. Uh, and it felt very I'm odd. It's
2: not going to be any better in 2020. It'll be worse. Uh, I <laughs> agree. It'll be worse. I was praying about it today. I, I, literally, I was praying about this. Uh, I was in my time of prayer. And I was like, what, it was like 15 months away. And I, I, I was just pouring out my heart before God, the anxiety that I, I feel that that we're drifting into a very dangerous place as a nation. But and And I care about the nation because it's my home. I live here. But the church and the damage this is going to do to churches.
0: Yeah.
2: Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't, I mean, I think Word of Life has, for whatever reason, been able to navigate this pretty well. But most churches like ours, I don't know any pastor who hasn't really been hurt, suffered, lost people,
0: Mm -hmm.
2: or issues. Yeah, Yeah,
0: it's so crazy, too, because, you know, we're in this culture where even like you, you just you preach a message. Like say you preach a, a gospel message, and then you'll have people come up to you afterwards and be like, "Oh wow, you really have it in for Trump," or "Oh wow, yeah. you really have it in for Hillary." When you're like, "No," <laughs> so even even the the message of Jesus has been co opted and right. is used as partisan rhetoric rather mm-hmm. than. And,
2: and that's that's where I will fight. That's why yeah. I, I said I, I said this yesterday. I said. I said uh, I have no allegiance to any political party because ultimately no political party is willing to completely bow to Jesus. Absolutely. And so I do not give – I don't claim to belong to any party. Uh, In Missouri, you don't even have to register with a a particular party to even vote in primary. If you can just show them and say give me whatever ballot you want. Mm. but. I, I was very clear to my church. I said, in fact, I've given all of my allegiance to Jesus. I don't have any leftover. There's no leftover allegiance. I don't have anything for anything really other than Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so, so I challenge the particular climate we're in by radical allegiance to Jesus, by playing the Jesus card sincerely over and over and over, saying Jesus is Lord. I, I said Sunday. I said when I say Jesus is Lord, you understand I mean Jesus is President, not not running for office, not trying to be, not campaigning. <laughs> he is President, Commander in Chief, Lord for life by appointment by yeah. God forever. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. and I'm yeah. just and and it, that seems to work because uh, I. At some point, if you really are a Christian, you think, "Yeah, I think I have to agree with this. How can yeah. I agree with this?" Yeah, I is- think where I see
0: disconnect come in, and, and we already alluded to this, and, and you talked about it, is that we we get this idea like that that Jesus is our like afterlife fire insurance policy. That Jesus, his work is to save He's us the when we die. Of
2: afterlife affairs. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> the secretary of a, afterlife Jesus, affairs. Jesus yeah. Lord, prior to Constantine, and then once you have the Constantinian catastrophe, yeah, where you believe you could be a Christian emperor with a Christian empire. Now the running of the world doesn't belong to the Lord Jesus Christ; it belongs to Caesar. Yeah. You can't get rid of Jesus, so what do you do? Well, you create a job for him. You demote him to secretary of afterlife affairs. It's his <laughs> job to get our souls into heaven when we die. Meanwhile, Caesar, because he's raised up by God and he's a Christian now, praise the Lord, hallelujah, uh, Will will run the world. And we've been living with that problem ever since. Now, in the European context where it's born— 17 centuries later, it leads to the catastrophe of the two world wars, where, in the name of allegiance to nation, millions of Christians slaughtered one another. I know that's crazy. And yeah. perhaps
1: this is a perhaps this is a super bold statement. I like to make bold statements on the podcast every week. <laughs> no, it's a pop, um, big bold, <laughs> you know. Perhaps that Jesus is only the secretary of afterlife affairs if a, if a Republican is the president in some Christians' mind. Yeah, perhaps. <laughs> perhaps if he's if there's a Democrat, then no. Oh, well, I don't know that he can do it. I'm not sure. And that might be bold. It might sound crazy, but uh, huh. I think there's some people that have gone that far that a Republican has to be president, or the world is just completely over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, and that I think that ties into um, what Brian was saying earlier that that people get this idea when we when we push too far that uh, our political party is going to save the world when we already have a savior yeah. of the world and his name is Christ Jesus and we just fall into idolatry over and over and over I again.
2: The whole, I mean, save the world, change the world, save the world are synonymous terms, I think, more or less. Yeah. Um, I think we need to pull back on our change the world. Rhetoric. Okay. Um, I don't think it's the task of the church to change the world. When we think it is, then we inevitably become tempted by the most immediate and coercive means of change. Okay. And so then we grasp for power, and grasping for power always. Is a temptation it's it's the third wilderness temptation of christ it's to bow down to the devil Mm -hmm. Uh, i do believe that the church is an agent of change within the world i believe that christianity has enormously changed the world in fact it's we live in a world that that has been so formed by christian witness and presence that we're accustomed to it and we, we just assume that it was the natural course of events where that's not the case But the primary task of the church is not to change the world, but simply to be that part of the world already changed by Jesus, Mm, to simply embody it and live it out. So, Eves Conger, he said, the church is the world as believing in Christ. Mm. So, I I don't want to say it's our task to change the world, because that, 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 puts too much pressure on us, it exalts us, it diminishes Jesus, but worst of all, it tempts us to grab means of coercive force and power. And So yeah. then we toward war or extreme partisanship where the other side has to be viewed as the enemy. Um, I think yeah. it's Jesus' job to save the world, change the world. It's our job to be that part of the world already changed by Christ. Mm. Now, that that's very Hauerwasian. Some people— <laughs> very idealistic. I think it's I think it's the only place where the church can safely gather at this point. Is yeah. a good kind of understanding.
0: Yeah, I no, I Not love it.
2: Equally to left and right. Mm. That, that's a that is a case where it equally applies to left and right.
0: Yeah, it kinda yeah. transcends those those walls, those borders. Right.
2: And um see the problem with Christian right, Christian left is that Christian has been reduced to adjective duty, serving the all-important noun. Yeah. What really matters is right and left, and Jesus is reduced to being a mascot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no. Um, Christian is a great noun. It's a lousy adjective.
0: hmm
2: So I, I, I refuse to participate in the idea of belonging to the Christian right or Christian left. Right. Hey, you know've i I've, I've done a moment there's you can you can ask me about an issue you can ask me about an issue Brian do you have an opinion on a political issue and I'll you know if I do have an opinion I'll say yes I seek to be christ informed on these issues here is how I understand this ethical issue this political issue this social issue this justice issue in the light of Christ but it has nothing to do with allegiance to whether it's right or left I don't care about that
0: yeah. right on I've
1: actually done a lot of mission work. That's actually part of my title here at the church I'm at, and uh, I would say almost every, you no, know, every time I've gone somewhere overseas, um, the idea of what it means to be a Christian is completely separate from the idea of what it means to be identified about where you're from, and particularly. And I was just in Mexico in June, and uh, we actually we had some kids in the group say, "Hey, you know, we have you ever wanted to come to America?" and the kids that we were speaking to they said no i don't <laughs> want to go visit america and they their their exact answer was it's too dangerous there wow. and like and and yet in, as americans right, we look right. at Mexico is a super dangerous, terrible place to go, and uh, you know they have no allegiance to anything other than Jesus. Those that follow Christ and truly follow Christ in Latin America, because I realize that means something different in their eyes in some ways. I
2: totally get it. I've traveled the world widely, especially in the last ten years or so. I see this phenomenon all in all. Now, if I were if I were to try to defend America, I would just say. Well, this is not unique to American history. This is mm, the problem. Mm-hmm. Of, it's always the problem of being a Christian in a superpower. Yeah, and yeah. This, this is the challenge that Christians, early Christians, faced in Rome. This is what the Book of Revelation is about. Yeah, a lot of people have the mistaken notion that John of Patmos writes his letter during a time of persecution. Au contraire, that's not what was happening there was a vicious wave of persecution with Nero and some others in the 60s and 70s the 80s, 60s and 70s we believe revelations written in the 90s it's a time of relative peace and stability Domitian's the emperor and what's happening is it's at this time also that the cult of the emperor worship which is a way of personifying the empire is on the rise in the eastern provinces 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 <laughs> uh, and, and this is this is to whom John is addressing his letter And he's basically saying this, guys, don't forget, this thing's a beast. Mm -hmm. Don't get too comfortable with the empire. Don't try to find a way to comfortably align your Christian faith with your uh, Roman identity and citizenship. You've got to be exiles. You've got to be different. You've got to come out of her my people. Mm -hmm. Uh, The book of Revelation is primarily, almost exclusive, really, really, A prophetic critique of the Roman Empire positing Jesus as the Lamb who triumphs uh, ridiculously, absurdly (laughs) over the beast. And so there's a comedic element. I mean— If you're going to draw it as a cartoon, ultimately what you have is you have this little tiny lamb that's, in fact, been slain but somehow is alive again, triumphing over this this, this 700—this seven-headed beast that's coming up out of the sea. Uh, There's there's the moment of humor in chapter 5 of Revelation when the elder who's giving John this little tour— You know, he he, he shows him that, you know, this scroll that's sealed with seven seals and the scroll seems to represent, you know, God's good intention for his idea of humanity. But no one's worthy found nobody's found worthy to break the seven seals. And that means that life as we've known it. Humanity, as we've known it, civilization, as we've known with all of its bloody wars and poverty and oppression and injustice, must continue forever. And he begins to weep greatly because what could be more depressing than the idea that nothing can ever change? And then suddenly the elders said, Oh, no, stop weeping. Look, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah has overcome and he's worthy to install God's purposes. And John looks, and there's no lion. There's no lion, there's only a lamb. Mm. It's only a lamb, but it's a slain lamb. But it's not. But it's not dead. It's alive, and that's the joke. See, there's a, there's a humor in it, um, <laughs> because Revelation is set up as a Greco-Roman play, complete with drama, dr- with tragedy, drama, comedy, chorus, all of that, and it's all right there. And so, so if we were like if we we're on, on safari in the savannah of Africa and we're walking along, and I go look a lion. And you look, and, and I'm pointing at a little lamb. <laughs> uh, that's what John is doing. He's saying that, yes, Jesus is, he's the royalty. He's the one that conquers, but never in a beastly way. Mm-hmm. The lion lays down with the lamb because the, the lion now is the lamb. Yeah. And, and uh, so, so I don't think there's any book... That is more relevant to American Christians right now than the book of Revelation, but you have to read it right. Yeah. To wrestle it away from the knuckleheads with their (laughs) dispensations and making it, you know, making it foretelling of geopolitical events of the 21st century, because it's not that. Absolutely. But once you learn to read the book of Revelation right, then um, there's nothing more timely for American Christians than that.
1: Yeah. yeah, well, and, and and just to just to uh, just to tag on to that, too, is, you know, as I was talking about missions before and, you know, this idea of like you know, Americans feeling like they need to go and save the world. Well, American <laughs> Christians saving the world, yeah. you know, that's something that is very foreign to anybody else in the world that like, oh, you know, I can come visit you and save your world where you're at. And it's funny, whenever you you see there's, it doesn't happen as often, but missionaries coming from other countries to America, that doesn't seem to happen very often because Americans wouldn't know what to do. If someone came in, they would think you're trying to save us, but they're reality is like in Latin America, they're like, no, you're not coming here to save us. You're just, you're actually coming here and we're going to serve you and bless you the same way we'd (laughs) anybody else. And you start to learn that American Christianity isn't going to save the world. It's Jesus has already done that. (laughs) So our job is just to walk in his footsteps. So it's, I just wanted to tag that Uh off.
2: Amen.
0: Yeah, Yeah, that's so great. I think you're, you're dead on with that bit about the book of revelation. In fact, we recently had on a guest, a guy named Zach Hunt. He wrote a book called "Unraptured: How End Times Theology Gets It Wrong," and he kind of told his story okay. about.
2: I like that title.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty good. He he kind of gives his journey about coming out of a life of dispensationalism. Yeah. Like he went to his you know his brand new seminary professor or whatever, and was like, "Hey, look, this is how it's all going to pan out." And the guy <laughs> kind of was like, "Well, actually," and uh, so I remember uh, for me, like once I got my hands on this book right here, reading Revelation responsibly—that's
2: that's the best one, dude. I that, mean, I- amazing a lot of books on revelation, I think that's the best one.
0: yeah, ma- amazing stuff. so I really appreciate that. And I know um, we're kind of getting close to uh, our time here, and I want to respect your time, Brian. But there was one question I wanted to ask you real fast, and it actually came from one of our listeners. Right. Um, it's it, it goes along with uh, with what we've been talking about, I think very nicely., uh, but he wants to know why people in the church, um, American Christianity, specifically, are so obsessed with the nation of Israel currently and how that's kind of been conflated. Um, I think you probably have a very good answer to it. Um, So, and that's a big question to ask, I know, but is there anything you'd want to speak to that?
2: Well, that's a complicated question. Absolutely. And I don't know that I, with, with time restraint, I don't know that I can do justice, but let me just touch on a few themes. First of all, let me say, the first thing I want to say is the church, from very early on, has had a deplorable record in its relationship with our Jewish brothers and sisters. Absolutely. Uh, I, I consider myself a true conservative in that I'm informed by patristics. Okay. And I pay attention to the church fathers. Uh, but, but they don't get everything right. So let's keep that in mind. And there is a tacit strain of anti-Semitism even in the Church Fathers. And, you know, then throughout the development of Christendom, you have regular pogroms, persecutions, uh, reaching the catastrophe of the Shoah, the, the Holocaust. And so coming out of that, there began to be, especially among charismatic Christians, in the 60s, a recognition that, dang, you know, that was like the worst sin ever. Hmm. And it was done by baptized people. And so there began to be a new way of thinking about the Jewish people, that they're not Christ killers. They are the brothers and sisters of Jesus. Mm-hmm. They are—they represent that from which the cradle from which Jesus came forth. And so there began to be an appreciation for um the Jewish roots of Christianity and a a deep corrective to the entrenched centuries long anti-Semitism that had been present in the church. All of that is good and to be celebrated. I lived through that, I, and that. What becomes problematic is with a poor theology. Uh, you don't you you then begin to confuse the modern nation state of Israel. With the theological understanding of Israel that you find in the Bible, absolutely, and this leads to the idea that certain things have to happen in the land. I'll say it this way: um, in Christ, and I'm going to sum up Paul or some of <laughs> theology really quickly here. In Christ, the chosen people is the human race, and the holy land is the whole earth. Amen. If you feel like, you know, for God's purposes to unfold, somehow, you know, certain events have to happen a certain way in the Middle East and that a, a, another mega war in the Middle East is inevitable, you're going to be a lousy peacemaker, <laughs> even worse, theologian. <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> and so people ask me if I'm pro Israel. And I said, uh, I have a certificate. From the Knesset that says I'm a friend of Israel. So you got one of those? No. Oh, I think I'm – the Knesset <laughs> thinks I'm a friend of Israel. Yeah, I'm pro-Israel. I'm also pro-Palestinian. Mm. And uh, I'm pro-justice. And yeah. I'm pro um. Uh, embodying the ways of Jesus in every part of the world. I'm anti-injustice, I'm anti-apartheid practices. Yeah. Um, I'm anti-violence, I'm anti-oppression. And so, um, I, I think, I think it's, a, it's, the Jewish people have been the scapegoat for Christians for centuries. And American conservatives who have recognized that have done the right thing and saying we're not going to scapegoat the Jews anymore. What they should not have done, though, is that instead what we're going to do is we're going to scapegoat Arab people.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, sure. you
2: just got to get rid of scapegoats. You just can't do any of it. Sure what they have no. done is they, they think that they're being righteous by simply saying, OK, we're not going to scapegoat Jews. We're going to scapegoat Arabs. And so they still have their scapegoat. They just picked a different one. The other thing is, is it allows American military might to be viewed in an altruistic way Yep. because they'll say, well, you know, we have to have all of our nukes in our super-duper trillion-dollar army because, you know, we've got to defend Israel. Right. Well, you know, if, it, if, if modern nation-state Israel is to be identified with the Israel in a theological concept of the Scripture, let's just say what Israel says. Some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we're going to trust in our the- <laughs> God. We don't need we don't need a Babylon to defend us. Absolutely. Constant critique from the prophets when Israel would rely upon Egypt or any other superpower for their defense. They said, no, no, no. All you get to do is trust in God. But I think the idea of 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 a two of of like a seamless connection between modern nation state of Israel and Israel who begins with Abraham, continues to the patriarchs and the prophets and the kings, and then Israel is is chosen by God for a vocation. Israel more or less fails in the vocation, except that Jesus, the true seed of Abraham, the true son of David, takes the vocation of Israel upon his own shoulders and carries it all the way through to completion. Mm. So um, I'm not a replacement theology guy. I'm not a supersessionist. I am a—I believe that all things find their fulfillment in Christ. Amen. That's what I confess. But th- th- yeah. these, are, these are complex theological matters. And Absolutely. It, it, it's a, a tremendous example of—watch this— Theology doesn't suck. <laughs> Theology matters. Theology is important because if you, get, if you get people in high places of influence in superpower governments that have dispensational eschatology and think that there has to be <laughs> mega wars in the Middle East, man, you are playing with nuclear fire. Absolutely,
0: yeah. and it just wreaks havoc, and I think we've we've seen the effects of that, and I think, unfortunately, we will continue to see the effects of that. Um, unless yeah. something radically, you know, <laughs> changes, which is why every person should buy and read postcards from Babylon, the church. Well, that's the best uh... <laughs> thing all day, right there. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, no, I, I, seriously, I loved it. Um, it was great. I've read through it a couple times. Um, and I've, I've, uh, recommended it and, and given it to others. So thank you so much uh, for your time, for your, for your effort in that. Thank you for putting yourself out there. Cause I know, um, people say some pretty hateful things about you. Um, but okay. I, I stand by the things that you say and, and I think, uh, you're willing to stand with, with Christ. And I, that's where yeah. I want to put myself as well. So thank you for that. Thank you for, thank
2: you, Josh. Thank you Marty. Yeah. Yeah. It's,
1: it's easy to say hateful things about people that are speaking the truth. True. So, <laughs> when, when, when you're speaking against the powers that be, they, it's easy to say hateful things. But
0: Absolutely. So yeah. Thank you again so much, Brian, for your time. Um, we have to wrap things up again, just to be to be honorable uh, and and faithful to your time commitment. So thank you again so much uh, for those uh, of you guys that are listening. If you would like to get uh, in contact with us, uh, please visit our website TheologyDoesntSuck.com. dot com. You can also find us on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, if you have any you know complaints concerns, you just want to tell Marty that his beard looks particularly nice recently. Feel free to <laughs> hit up our contact us page, shoot us an email, and we would love to. Uh, respond to you. Um, and with that in mind, again, please, please, please go check out uh, Postcards from Babylon. You can find it wherever books are sold. Amazon's my personal favorite. Um, and again, Brian, thank you so, so much for your time yes, thank uh, you. today. And uh, as always, go Taps! Go Blackhawks! <laughs> go jeez. <Geese>. Yes! <laughs> Perfect, I love it i